0: Come to verses 26 and 27. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. And before we read these two verses, let me remind you that this is the Word of God. Romans 8, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a situation where you greatly needed someone to help you? Have you ever been in a circumstance where you did not have what you needed and you had to rely on somebody else? Some weeks ago, we had snow and ice come through the Piedmont. I hope it's not coming again on Tuesday. We will see. I hope not. But Some weeks ago, we had that major storm come through and On the news, we saw that throughout the triangle, uh, especially, there were thousands of motorists that were stranded. They were trying to get home, but their cars couldn't make it up or down the rises in the roads that were covered with ice, where they got caught up in gridlocked traffic. And out of that came many stories about complete strangers offering to help One another. Uh, Guys with large four wheel drive trucks were helping stranded folks to get to their homes. They were helping to pull cars out of ditches. There was video of uh, civilians standing in the middle of intersections directing traffic. Not a few people in the triangle opened up their homes to folks who were not able to get to their own homes. There have certainly been times in my life when I needed to get something large or heavy from one place to another. Uh, I remember the task of carrying our washer and our dryer up the stairs in our house to the place where, where they belong. And there was simply no way I would have gotten those large appliances up the stairs by myself. Had I tried, I would have ended up at the bottom of the stairs with a washer or a dryer on top of me. And so God provided help from among some of you. Our verses this evening speak to us about the Spirit as a helper to us. These verses speak of one who comes to us and brings us help that we desperately need. This verse is about Christians. Um, If you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you'll listen to what I have to say But these verses apply specifically to believers and how God has given to us the Spirit as a helper for us in our time of need. So what I want to do is unpack this passage with three questions. Number one, who is this helper? Number two, why do we need his help? And then number three, how does he help us? Who is this helper? Why do we need his help? And how does he help us? Number one is the most obvious, the easiest to answer. Who is this helper? And our verse tells us clearly that it is the Holy Spirit who is our helper. Verse 26 begins, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, does everybody see that word, likewise? Kids, you might want to put your finger on that word, likewise. That word tells us that what is now being said in verse 26 is like what was just said before. I might say, Joey ran to the store and Susie did likewise. And that means what Joey did, Susie did, right? Well, here, Paul has just spoken about the power of hope and how hope is a helper to us. As we look forward to the day, When Jesus comes back and sets all things right, we are helped by that hope to endure the trials and the troubles we face today. Hope is a wonderful helper to your life. Hope in your heart, looking forward to the day of Christ's return, is like sipping hot chocolate on a cool day. It it keeps you warm inside when things around you begin to get cold and hard. And then Paul says, likewise, there is another help for you, an even greater help. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, I need to say something about that word, helps. Um, It's an unusual word in the Greek. The word literally speaks of one who comes alongside you to help you shoulder a burden. So picture me trying to lift my washer and carry it up my stairs. And I'm just not strong enough. And I start to lose my balance. And I fear that the washer is going to come down and land on my head. And then somebody else comes alongside and helps shoulder the weight of the washer. Together, we carry the weight and we go up the steps. And so that's actually the idea of this word in the Greek. The, the Spirit has not come to help us by taking our troubles away. The Spirit has come to help us by burying our troubles with us. He has come to us in our weakness so that we might have an extra strength that is not ours supplied to us in the midst of our trials and our troubles. Dear Christian, think about this for a moment. Why are you not a complete wreck? You have the world against you with all of its temptations and seductions. You have the devil against you, a shrewd serpent out to deceive you and to lead you away from Christ and truth. You have your own flesh against you, longing after pride and sensual pleasures and the praise of men. On top of all this, you go through physical trials and you go through relationship trials and you go through money trials and you go through difficult decisions and seasons of heartache and seasons of discouragement. Why have you not turned aside from Jesus a very long time ago? How is it that you are still holding on to your faith? Surely by now you would either have lost your faith or your sanity. Surely by now you ought to be bitter. You ought to be disillusioned. But instead, here you are tonight. Everything taken into consideration, you're you're doing okay. After all that you've been through, you are able to come here tonight and to stand with us and to praise God and pray to God and to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. Your heart still rejoices when you think about your Savior on the cross. How is this so? Surely the only answer is that you have been helped by the Holy Spirit. He has been with you and near you in the moments of your life that were difficult, and indeed every moment. When your faith would have, come, would have given out The Spirit has come, and He has sympathized with you. And He has borne you up on His shoulders. He has given you what you needed to persevere. It is the Spirit, whether you knew it or not, who had come alongside of you to keep you from being completely overwhelmed by your circumstances. Maybe you've noticed that in the midst of a heart-wrenching season, the Spirit has brought into your mind a particular verse... Or a particular promise that kept the spark of faith alive in your heart? Have you ever noticed how the Spirit maybe has used the truth of a song or the words of a friend to lift up your drooping head and to keep you running in the race when you were ready to give up? When Jonathan in the Bible was weary, he found honey and he tasted the honey and we're told that it brightened his eyes. So there has been time after time in your life as a Christian when the Spirit has come to you, when you are hurting and you were weary and you were weak, and through the Word of God He brightened your eyes and strengthened you. The Spirit has taken the balm of the Word of God and applied it to your wounded heart. When you felt lonely or afraid or about to give up, it was the Spirit who caused you to have a sense in your heart, my Father still loves me. Even in those moments when you were falling away, you were beginning to rebel against Jesus and to give in to sin. It was the Spirit that came and stirred up your conscience. The Spirit would not let you stray too far. The Spirit was the rod of your good shepherd being applied to your soul. And because of the rod and because of the the, the sensations that He caused you to experience in your mind, He drew you back into obedience to Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, the Holy Spirit has already been such a helper to you. I hope you know it. He is a precious gift to you from your Father. So it is the Spirit that is our helper. Number two, Why do we need his help? Why do we need the Spirit's help? And I want to suggest that our passage teaches that we need the Spirit's help both generally and specifically. Generally and specifically. Generally speaking, the last two paragraphs have told us why we need the Spirit's help. In verses 12 through 17, we saw that we need the Spirit because without him, sin will defeat us. We are David. Sin is Goliath. The only reason David could approach Goliath with confidence and slay him was because he came against Goliath in the name of the Lord his God. David was not coming against Goliath in his own strength. He had a special strength supplied to him by the Lord. He was trusting in the Lord. So it is with you and I, the only, so it is with you and me. Crystal would get on me if she heard me say that. So it is with you and me. If we do not have the Spirit's help, the giant will slay us every time. Sin will conquer us. On our own, we are like Steve Urkel going up against Arnold Schwarzenegger. Our sin will pummel us. It will harden our hearts. It will turn us away from Christ. The Holy Spirit, I say this reverently, it's kind of like spinach is to Popeye. Only with the Spirit are we made strong. Only with the Spirit are we able to stand against sin. Romans eight thirteen. if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We need the Spirit because without Him, sin would defeat us and take us away from Christ. And then there's the next paragraph, verses 18 through 25. And we see that we need the Spirit because without Him, our suffering would defeat us. You see, we live in a fallen world, a world groaning for redemption, and in this world we suffer. Verse 18 speaks of the sufferings of this present time. Physical suffering is a part of this world. We experience real physical pain. And then on top of that, there is real inner anguish. How many of us have experienced the deep pain of the loss of a loved one? How many of us have had our hearts ripped out by people that we cared for? How many moms and dads, grandmoms and granddads, even in this room, have watched their kids become foolish adults, rejecting Christ and living in sin? We all have loved ones who have died. And gone to hell. And the very thought of that causes us to suffer inside. There is the suffering of being betrayed by friends. There is the suffering of being disappointed by people that we trusted. There is the suffering of seeing our God dishonored in this world and watching the plunge into wickedness that our culture is taking. Christians know what it is to grieve. And the dearer our God is to us, the more we can expect to grieve in this life. But just like we are David and our sin is Goliath, so also we are David and our suffering is Goliath. On our own, in our own strength, our suffering would overpower us, make us bitter, and turn us against our God. Apart from the Spirit, we would be a very depressed people. We would become despondent, perhaps even suicidal. It would be very easy for our suffering to so cloud up our thinking that we would no longer see any light. God would become small to us in the light of our circumstances. His promises would seem minute and far off to us because all we can see is the suffering that we are experiencing Without the Spirit, we would be like Peter who sees the wind and the waves and he's trying to walk on the water and he's drowning because his attention is so focused on the danger rather than on his Savior. It is the Spirit who comes to us in our sufferings and helps us. It is He who lifts us up. Through the Word, through the precious promises of God, it is the Spirit who gives us the hope to carry on It is the Spirit that gives us the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in the midst of suffering. Love, joy, peace, patience. If you have known what it is to endure suffering in this life, and yet you were still able to love others in the midst of your suffering, that was the fruit of the Spirit, your helper in your life if you have known what it is to have a deep-seated joy in Christ, even in the midst of unimaginable hurt, that is a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. He was helping you. If you have known what it is to go through a trial with peace and with patience that came to you from Christ, that was the Spirit helping you. He is our great helper. Well, now, in verse 26, we see a specific weakness that we have that requires the Spirit's help. We've already seen that our sin would conquer us apart from the Spirit, that our suffering would conquer us apart from the Spirit, but now we have a very specific problem that cannot be fixed apart from the Holy Spirit. Listen again to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's general, but then specific. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Here is a specific need that we have. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, notice that word ought. There is an ought when it comes to prayer. We ought to pray earnestly for things that will glorify God, we ought to pray eagerly for those things that will serve His cause in our lives. We ought to pray sincerely for those things that will make us holy and bring us safely to heaven. We ought to pray intensely for our brothers and sisters. We ought to pray deeply for those things that will cause the lost in this world to be saved. There is isn't ought to prayer. So what's the problem? The problem is ignorance. Our verse says that we do not know what to pray for as we ought now wait a minute how can paul say that we do not know what to pray for when i just gave you a list of things that we ought to pray for right how does that make sense you and i could make a list we could bring out our marker board and we could start making a list what are things that we ought to pray for and we we could start going so so why does paul say we do not know what to pray for as we ought First of all, we need to know that the reason that you and I can make that list is because we've been taught by the Bible. And who was the Bible inspired by? The Holy Spirit. So the things that you've learned from the Bible that taught you how to pray and taught you the things that you ought to pray for, that was the Spirit helping you. But here's the problem. I know that I'm supposed to pray for those things that will bring God glory but I don't always know what those things are. I know that I ought to pray for that which will bless my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I don't always know what that is. You see, I think I should be praying that God will spare you from cancer. But what if cancer is exactly what you need right now? I don't know. We have two kinds of ignorance that plague our prayer lives. Two kinds of ignorance that plague our prayer lives. We are often ignorant of God's sovereign will, and we are sometimes ignorant of the wisest path. So let me flesh those out and then show you how the Spirit helps us. First, we are often ignorant of God's sovereign will. By the way, this is not a sinful ignorance. I'm not using ignorance here in a negative light. Okay, I'm just using the word ignorance to mean we don't know. We don't know the ins and outs of God's sovereign will. We know the big picture, but God has not revealed everything to us. We are not supposed to know God's sovereign will in every detail. And what this means is that sometimes we may be praying for things that are actually not good. So for example, Moses prayed that God would let him into the promised land. And God's sovereign determination was that that would be bad. Moses had to be punished for his sin, and he needed to be moved aside so that Joshua, who was a type of Christ, could take his place at the head of Israel. Moses had to be moved aside so that Joshua, a forerunner of Jesus Christ, could be the one that would lead God's people into the promised land. God heard Moses' prayer, but for the glory of God and for Moses' own good, he did not grant it. And had Moses known the sovereign plan of God, I think he probably would have never prayed that prayer. We think of Jeremiah praying in Jeremiah 14, and he asked God, is there anything that can be done to spare Judah from, from your judgment? And God's answer in Jeremiah 15 can be summed up in one word. No. No. God said that even if Moses or Samuel stood before him, he would not change his plan. His plan was best Jeremiah's prayer was heard, but it was refused. Paul prayed three times about the thorn in his flesh, whatever it was. He prayed three times that God would remove that thorn, and God refused to remove it. And Paul began to see that the thorn was actually there for his good, to keep him humble before God. Had God answered Paul's prayer, it would have been bad for God's glory, and it would have been bad for Paul. You see, ignorance of God's sovereign will plagues our prayers. We pray for a student in our midst to get into a certain college. But God knows that if that student were to go to that school, he would be led away from Christ. And so God doesn't answer that prayer. We pray for a sick church member to get better. And God knows that if that church member gets better, that church member is going to wander off and fall away from Christ. And so God doesn't heal that church member. See, for the sake of that person's soul, God might not not heal him. Mount Hermon, are we not glad that God doesn't always give us what we pray for? Is it not a good thing that sometimes he says no to our prayers? We are ignorant of his sovereign will. But then second, we are often ignorant of the wisest path. How often have you been in a situation that was just messy and you were not sure what needed to be done? There have been many times in my life when I was trying to help folks and I didn't know what to say. Should I tell them this or that? Should I point them to this passage or that passage knowing that a passage used wrongly or given in the wrong season can cause trouble? Haven't we all had moments when we had to look to God and say, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to pray for. Now, Herman, let's be clear. This does not mean that we shouldn't pray at all. You see, that's what the ancient Greek philosophers taught. The old pagan philosophers of ancient Greece, they said, you don't know enough about the will of the gods to pray well, so you shouldn't pray at all. But church, our God has commanded us to pray. Our God has told us to pray without ceasing. God is glorified in our prayers, even when we don't know the right thing to pray for. Indeed, God is much more concerned with the attitude of our hearts than He is with the content of our words. Even when we're praying for the wrong things, the very fact that we humble ourselves and call on God in faith is a wonderful thing for His glory and the good of our souls. And so we need to be a people of prayer. So, to help us in our weakness, of not knowing how to pray rightly because we don't know the sovereign will of God or always the wisest path to take, God has given us the helper, the Holy Spirit. So if our final question, how does the Spirit help us? If we don't know what to pray for, how does the Spirit help us? Our verse says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. First, note the main point itself the Spirit intercedes. That's how He helps us, He intercedes. And what does that mean? What does it mean to intercede for someone? Well, the word used here by Paul is only used here in the whole Bible. So we can't look to another passage to, to get our understanding of this word. This is the only place he uses this particular Greek word. The word literally means to make a petition or an appeal on behalf of someone else. I Think about John Bunyan sitting in prison because he refused to stop preaching. And his wife, Elizabeth traveled to London and presented a petition to the House of Lords on behalf of her husband. She came to the House of Lords with an argument and a request that her husband should be set free. She interceded for her husband. Our verse teaches that though we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. He brings petitions before God the Father on our behalf. The book of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus intercedes for us in heaven. The book of Romans teaches that the Spirit intercedes for us from within our own souls. Number two, note that the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. According to the will of God. Here is where the Spirit is different from us. The Holy Spirit knows the sovereign will of God perfectly the spirit knows the full plan and every detail the hidden things of god are not hidden from the spirit he is god in fact listen very closely to 1 corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 listen to this but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined What God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In other words, there is only one in all the world who knows the thoughts of God, and that is God and the Spirit of God himself. The Spirit of God is the one that knows the very mind and plans of God. You might be wondering, what in the world is God up to? The Spirit of God is not wondering at all. He knows. He knows precisely what God is up to. He knows precisely the plan and how every detail must go for God to be most glorified and for you to be most blessed. And therefore, even while you may be praying the wrong thing without knowing it, the Spirit is interceding for you, praying according to the will of God. Moreover, the Holy Spirit always knows the best and the wisest path in that moment when you're down on your knees completely befuddled by your messy situation the spirit is not befuddled at all you're praying oh father I don't even know what to ask for but the spirit within you interceding for you is not saying that he knows exactly what requests need to be made of the father he knows what is best he knows what is needed he knows not only the sovereign will of God perfectly he knows the moral will of God perfectly You and I often struggle with application. How do we take what we know to be morally true in the Bible and apply it to this situation? The Spirit does not struggle there. He always knows the right application in every situation. And therefore, He intercedes for us. Now, Mount Hermon, this is a tough verse. It is a wonderful verse, but lots of godly people disagree on exactly what this passage means. So I've had to wrestle with it. Uh, In the end, I have found myself coming down in agreement with Douglas Moo. And so let me read what he says. Paul is saying then that our failure to know God's will and our consequent inability to petition God specifically and assuredly is met by God's Spirit, who himself expresses to God God. Those intercessory petitions that perfectly match the will of God. When we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not best for us, we need not despair. We can depend on the Spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. Did you hear that? I think that's pretty encouraging and comforting. When we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not best for us, we need not despair. We can depend on the Spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. Third, note that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words groanings too deep for words. Now stick with me here. This is where things get particularly mysterious. The idea here is that these groanings are not expressed verbally. They are literally inexpressible words. They are unutterable words. They are too deep for words. These groanings It refers to the same word we saw of creation and of the Christians in the last paragraph. This is an inward ache. This is an inward longing that you feel deep in your heart. Just as creation groans for the day of redemption. Just as Christians groan for the day of redemption when all things will be set right. So we now see that the Spirit of God is groaning for the day of redemption when you and I will be made holy. Indeed, your groaning for the last day is really the fruit of the Spirit's groaning for the last day in your heart and in your life. Your groaning, your longing for Jesus to come back is the work of the Spirit within you. The Spirit of God is yearning for and working towards the day when God will be glorified and you will be perfected. Just as Jesus in the Gospels groaned As he longed for this fallen world to be restored. So the Spirit within you groans, longing for the day you will be holy. Listen to verse 27 very carefully. He who searches hearts, and that has to be God, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. In other words, when the Spirit is producing this groaning in you, when the Spirit is producing this deep ache, this deep longing for holiness within you, you can't put those groanings into words. But God the Father knows exactly what is being communicated there. God the Father knows exactly what the mind of the Spirit within you is communicating as He moves you into deep ache for holiness and for the glory of God and for the salvation of the lost. Remember, the Spirit of God is God. He has no reason to groan. There, there is no hurt in God. He knows the full plan. There is no need. There is no deficiency in the Spirit of God. The Spirit is not groaning because He in His divine essence is somehow hurting. Not at all. But for your sake, in His union with you, the Spirit groans within you. He has united himself to you. He cares for you. Your sins grieve him and he is working towards that day, indeed groaning for that day when you will be holy and perfect. His divine will, his divine desire, which will be accomplished, is that you be made holy, the church be blessed, the elect being gathered from all the nations and the Spirit of God is groaning for these things from within you. And as you groan, God the Father searches and knows the mind of the Spirit within you. And he receives it as intercession from the Spirit on your behalf. Church, do you, do you get that we're a little bit over our heads in this verse? We're, we are being brought into some inner workings of the Trinity here that are deep. But here's what you need to see. It's all being done on your behalf and for your good. This mysterious thing that is happening between the Father and the Spirit and indeed the sons involved in it too. It is an inner Trinitarian work all happening for your good to help meet the deficiencies in your prayer life. Now don't take this to mean that your words don't matter when you pray. Your words do matter. The Spirit has given you Scripture to help you know what words to use when you pray. We're studying the Lord's Prayer At our prayer meetings to help us know what kinds of words we ought to use when we pray. Words matter. But more than that, what matters is the attitude of our hearts. And if the Spirit is at work within us, our prayers should be springing up from godly desires. Our prayers should be filled with this longing, this yearning, this groaning for God to be honored and for us to be holy and for the lost to be saved. Mount Hermon, there is more happening when you pray than you even realize. Oh, how this ought to encourage you to pray all the more. Aren't you glad that the fulfillment of God's purposes in your life do not depend solely on your prayer and your ability to pray well? If the history of this world and the fulfillment of God's promises depended on my ability to pray well, we're all in trouble. But I have the Holy Spirit of God, and dear Christian, you have the Spirit of God, and He is doing awesome things as we pray. So I'll close with this last point. Namely, the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Do you see that in verse 27? We're specifically told that the Spirit intercedes for the saints. The Spirit intercedes for those who are Christians, For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those set apart by God for salvation, saints are not super holy people. Saints are you and me if we are believers in Jesus. The Spirit intercedes for the saints. And dear church, the Spirit's prayers for us never go unanswered. Moses, Jeremiah, Paul, they they heard from God and God's response was no. No. Why? They were not able to pray according to the will of God. But guess what the Spirit always does? The Spirit always prays according to the will of God, which means there's never been one prayer cast for you by the Holy Spirit that was not answered by God the Father on your behalf. He prays perfectly. He intercedes perfectly for you even as you pray. Unbelievers, how could you not want this? If there's anyone in this room who is an unbeliever, how could you not want this? Don't you want to have the Spirit interceding for you, praying prayers that can never fail on your behalf? But there is only one way to have this gift. You must be a saint. And there's only one way to be a saint. And it's not by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and saying, I'm going to do better tomorrow. That's not how you become a saint. You become a saint by turning from your sins and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is your only hope of being made right with God, and it is through Him that you can have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, interceding for you. Let's pray.